and thank you for listening to Accountable, the podcast in which I invite one guest to come and tell me the worst thing that they've ever done. Uh, today we have Duke Mulberry. He's a comedian and photographer from Manchester, New Hampshire. How are you, Duke? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm happy to have you here. I wish I could say I was happy to be here right now. <laughs> Well, I mean, I really want to make a point to say that you're super brave for doing this, and I really appreciate it. And also, anyone listening, if you hear Duke's story, and you're like, man, that guy really fucked his life up, and you, you, it's not a competition. Whatever your story is, you feel free to come tell it. You don't have to feel like you got to one-up anybody, or if your story's worse, um, you know, no one's going to judge you. I mean, me, I can't <laughs> for that, but, but feel free to come tell a story. But So today we've got Duke from Manchester... Um, and yeah, you can start your story whenever you'd like. All right. Um, so this is a awkward thing to do to come over and tell, uh, one of your most horrible moments, but hoping that this will also be cathartic at the same time and will help me feel better about this though. Not feel better, but accept it more, I suppose. Um, so for me, it's start my story. It takes place in a little peninsula called San Francisco. You may have heard of it. Um, I like to call it my peninsula of perversion. Um, I just, vices were on display there. I loved it there. Um, I developed a habit of uh, heroin and crack. I used to like to inject them. Uh, and when I say I like to, it, that was, I loved it. Um, I am aware that I, it is no good now, you know, but for a minute there, I was tricked. But anyway, to do to be able to afford the habit that I had, I turned to crime, and that is where my accountability comes in here. Um, so it was around Christmas time. So there's actually this is kind of a two-parter, but I'll make them quick so that they go together. But uh, the first one is uh, actually well, I'll tell the first one here. It wasn't Christmas, but it was close to it, and it was um, I was out looking for what I used to like to refer to as unburied treasure. Um, basically if people left like an iPhone out in their car on the middle console, or if I saw a GPS, because this is, you know, from a time when GPSs were still a hot commodity and could get you $20 on the black market. Um, but I had seen a, a GPS on the dashboard of this car and I had, um, what was called a magic rock at the time, which is just a piece of, uh, um, spark plug. And I was walking by, and if you use that piece of spark plug, it spider webs the window, and you can just push it in. Very criminally sound device that we had figured out out there. And so, um, anyway, I go into this car, and I'm grabbing the stuff like normal. And I had already long ago, like, come to terms with the fact that I was now stealing from people, even though I had always said I was only going to steal from corporations, as if somehow that made it better. And, I mean, I, I actually still think that does. I would agree. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that makes it better. <laughs> Thank you for joining yeah. me on that. Um, and, you know, that was a line that, so I guess a subplot of this um, accountability is also that that was a line that I crossed long ago with myself when I was using that um, I would only steal from corporations. Once I started, like, actually stealing from people, I knew that, you know, things had changed. But I had in my addiction found a way to convince myself that it was okay. You know, that like these people didn't need what they had. I needed it more, you know, and that, trust me, I'm aware of the sickness in those statements. I just, but that's what it was, you know? And so, um, 
like I said, I was okay with that. That didn't bother me. But this particular time while I was grabbing the GPS, I looked over and on the passenger seat, like pressed up against the door was a puppy. And like that, in that moment, like that broke my heart because, you know, like I, as, as a, you know, survivor of trauma myself and, you know, working in that field now, like even back then, just having that capacity of understanding that, you know, animals suffer trauma as well. And how for a puppy whose day was out with its parents and like going for a drive and, you know, they were just running into the store when they come back out, you know, the puppy's going to get a milk bone. But instead, in the meantime, like a window gets smashed and things are stolen and it's chaos. And for some reason, that one sits heavy with me. And the other part of the story is very similar to that. And it was around Christmas and uh, actually it was right in front of a courthouse um, in the Tenderloin. And uh, which I used to always think that it was best to commit crimes in the most obvious places because people wouldn't expect it, you know. So, like, I like to, like, you know, break into cars, like, you know, in open spaces or in broad daylight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I go into a supermarket and, like, you know, because toothbrushes and shampoo was also a hot commodity on, on the black market. And so I would just open a bag and swipe everything into it people would be watching, but, like, they can't, like, people just don't regularly process watching somebody sweep a shelf into a bag and then calmly walk away. Well, if you, you know? do it confidently enough, folks oh, yeah. will usually just be like, oh, he must be doing that for a reason. Right. Like, he's yeah. supposed to do that. They must be filming something. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because people will. They'll make up excuses to believe what they need to in that moment to be like, all right, I don't have to react. Yeah, you know, because I think that's really what it is, is it's like a defense mechanism of like, I'm going to find some other logical way to say so that I don't have to do anything. Yeah, no, it's not this. my problem. Right. That guy's supposed to be here. Yeah. I'm going to continue my day. And so, um, you know, I was walking down the street. It's the only car there. It's right by the courthouse. And I look in the car and I see there's a bunch of Christmas presents. Before I start, I know you're already thinking, yes, I know I'm fucked up for doing what I'm about to do. And uh, so sure enough, I smashed the window. Now I went into the vehicle and because, you know, I didn't have time or, you know, sense of mind to just grab a bunch of presents and run because I couldn't do that. I needed to like go through them while I was in the vehicle, which takes up time. And um, so I'm in the car and now I remember how I know that they came. All right. Yeah. So. I'm in the car and going through shit. And then all of a sudden, the dome light comes on. That's what it was. That alerted me. And I'm like, what the fuck? All right. Now it's like, you know, clock's ticking. Because there's only one reason the dome light came on. Who did they unlock the car from the keys? Yep. Okay. Use their fob. Boop. You know. And so in that moment, like, I'm debating, like, do I just jump out and run? But I haven't really found what I was looking for yet. So I continue rummaging through. Hearts racing. I know they're getting closer. At this point, like, you know, I'm looking out the windshield. I can see them walking up to the vehicle. By the time they're at their door, like, I'm still in the car and, like, just, you know, I burst out to make my grand exit or whatever. And, you know, I really, I, I knew it was a girl and her mom. Like, it's a little girl. She was, you know, I, I suck at aging children. She was small. You know, um, I'm going to say in the area of anywhere from like five to 11, Okay. you know, cause I think that at that ages, they're all the same height. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. There's no difference for me for anything. Yeah. That. So, um, she was five to 11 and I'm probably closer to the 11 part. Cause she was a little bit tall. I wasn't scared of her, but 
that was the thing is like I saw that it was you know it was a completely non-threatening situation in my mind I'm just gonna take this I'm gonna run away I probably won't even think about this later won't affect me as much as the puppy you know but again it was around Christmas and they apparently realizing that I was in there for the Christmas presents decided to give chase and so they ran after me which I did not expect, and, you know, I'm, I was in no condition to be running from anyone. Um, like I said, I used to try to do my crimes when nobody would want to have to interact with me, you know? And so it was completely unexpected that an older woman and a little kid was chasing me. The older woman, after, like, a half a block, stopped. The girl continued on for, I don't know, like, four or five blocks just chasing after me. Which, again, wouldn't have even been that bad, but it was the whole time she just kept yelling, you're an evil, evil man. And, like, that sits heavy with me, not just because of, like, in that moment, like, knowing that I fucked things up for her, but again, like, as a survivor of trauma and, like, knowing, like, how things affect you over the years and, like, the smallest things can bring things back to know that, like, every Christmas that will be talked about. Like, that will be brought up for every Christmas memory. Like, you know, and maybe now, like, they've learned to laugh at it. Like, I've learned to laugh at my trauma. Maybe it still hurts them, like it does for a lot of other people that haven't found coping mechanisms. Like, but that one really fucked me up, you know. And, and the lady, too, but it's that kid because, you know, like, I mean, she kept chasing. Not because I think that she thought that she was going to catch me, but I think just because she really wanted to let me know that I was an evil, evil man. You know, that, like, she couldn't believe that somebody would do something like that. And it, and it sucks because that also, like, you know, leads to the idea that, you know, she lived in a world of innocence where that didn't exist. You know, and it sucks to have brought something that ugly. You pulled that, that veil away. Yeah. And showed her that that's a part of life and part of the world. Yeah. How, did that affect you immediately after? Did you, did you, like, deal with that at all or were you just, like... Yeah, no, I mean, that, you know, I'd say that whole night, but I mean, ever since then, you know, and we're many years past when that took place, you know, I mean, I've been in recovery now for fucking seven years, and before that, I appreciate it, and, uh, you know, I'm, I just did the right thing, stop shooting heroin yeah. and crack, <laughs> well, you know, it's not but no, I, I know, it's not, doing. it was, it, and, and even then, like, I knew I needed to stop, you know, I hated what I was doing, I hated that that moment even needed to be a part of my life. You know, I mean, I, and I'm not going to say to me like, oh, poor me, like it sucks that I was, because whatever, I made those choices, I'm aware of that. But, you know, it's still, even in that, I mean, I made the first choice. After after a little bit, you don't have a choice in it anymore. Right. You know, I, and I want to say that because I want people thinking that, you know, addiction's a choice, because it's not. Yeah, it's, it's a choice in the same sense that diabetes is a choice. You know, you ate bad at the beginning and now you have diabetes, you know, and now that's something you have to deal with. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Do and you think, um, recently I listened to somebody talking about the difference between addiction and drug dependency. Do you, do you buy into those, that, that idea that those are different and, um, would you say that you're one or the other? Um, I don't I mean, I don't know how you would even differ. I mean, I, I, I guess like. I would say that drug dependency would maybe be um, for people that are using it as a, um, maybe like, I don't want to say, well, not moderation management. I would say more in the sense of like uh, medically assisted treatment. 
you know yeah. i think that that's drug dependent you know i think because you know and, and again in the recovery community people vary on how they feel about this like i i love suboxone i think that it is a great tool for people i know that i myself would not have gotten off of heroin without it and i am now off of suboxone as well but because i was on suboxone i'm aware it's a drug you know yeah. like we can say that it's a you know assisted treatment yeah and it is and it's amazing, but it's still a drug. And I think that when you're doing those, that you're still drug dependent. And the problem is, is that's when you go from being, you know, an, an addiction, an active addict, and to being drug dependent, where you're starting to be able to, like, follow guidelines. Like, you use your medical medicine appropriately, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, and maybe... For me, I, I also, like, I subscribe now. I myself do moderation management. Um, I was having a lot of pain. I've had a lot of health problems. I've recently started using marijuana again. And, you know, it, it took me seven years to get, or, well, six years to get to that decision, you know, because I wasn't going to. Like, I had gone to my doctor. I've been going in and out. I have a lot of problems. We still don't know what the fuck is going on. Whatever. I'm in a lot of pain all the time. We had talked about, like, painkillers. I can't do it. Just you not know? an option. I'm, I'm a fucking junkie. Like, you give me a Vicodin, I'll be like, all right, yeah, I can feel that. But you know what? If I sniffed it, you know, mm -hmm. and I hate sniffing. So immediately I'm going to be like, you know what? Actually, we should just get heroin, you yeah. know, like, and it, and there's no progression for me, you know, like, and I know that I've, I've tried before. I've, I've had a little bit of time and then, you know, like, you know what? I can socially use crack. Yeah. 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 Nope. I, I think that, and I'm not trying to go off on a tangent about me, but I've noticed Please that do. like. I can get, like, I can make poor choices, but I can, like, you know, get myself out of it. Whereas, like, I used to, I have, I'd still say he's a friend, I'm not going to say his name uh, for the sake of anonymity, but, you know, I had this friend where we would sort of get into the same, like, trouble and, like, start, you know, like, drinking and stuff like that. And then I'd wake up the next day hungover and be like, man, I got to take a break. And he would have not slept and had gone and gotten, like, crack and was, like, oh, yeah. staying up all night with, like, fucking burns on his face and shit. And I'm just like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I mean, we were just yep. hanging out. And it's just that reality that, like, that's not an option for him. No. He can't do those things. I know? So last time, last time I had uh, gotten clean, if you will, um, I was in New Orleans. And then, like, I got out of detox. Um, that night I decided to celebrate with a bottle of wine, which... Not usually the best way to come out of detox, right. you know, but I was like, you know, moderation management, I can do this. Everything went fine. I actually was able to maintain for a little bit. Met a girl. We both used to love the needle. We decided one night after, you know, drinking some Tom Collins, we were like, you know what? Why don't we just shoot some dope? Like, we yeah. should do that. And so, you know, thinking it was going to be a one-time thing. And like, this is the truth for me, man. Like, this is how fast it happens. We went and got dope within two weeks we couldn't stand each other. I was on the streets, fucking, like, had a habit again, and was homeless in New Hampshire. Like... Not a great place to be. Just, not, nowhere's a good place to be homeless, but New Hampshire... Yeah, can yeah. ...can be particularly tough. Um, yeah. I've done it. I, I can't even say... You know, I've been unhoused for periods of time, but I've always had, like friends that were willing to take me and stuff like that but if i had put myself in a position of needing to steal or whatever else that would have been out the window and i would have been a dude in fucking february like oh yeah you know trying to find like a 
snowmobile shack to fucking well, that, live in. that was also part of why I traveled a lot, too, is just I had to go where the climate suited my yes, clothes, they were. you know? And, like, all of that, just to, you know, I give some props to you. One of my favorite lines from a Fly Eater song, <laughs> and it's, you know, I don't know if I'm homesick or sick of not having a home. And uh, I don't know if that's one of your originals, yeah, right? What, yeah. yeah and that singer. that fucking line, man, like when I heard you, actually it was at that skate park, I think, in Dover that I saw oh, you yeah, play. Oh, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And I just remember that line and just like being so moved by that because like honestly, like that summed up how I felt for so many of those years on the streets. Like, you know, because I, I, it was, what's the French word for it? And we or... However you pronounce oh, yeah, that, yeah, you know, yeah. it's a lot of vowels Ennui, with the two yeah. ends. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And I read it a lot in books, but I never yeah, say yeah, it yeah. out loud much. Well, you know what? Someone told me once, you should never give someone a hard time for mispronouncing a word because it means it means that they had read it. A hundred percent. Thank you for that? saying that because I, yeah. I read constantly, but I've never, a lot of times because, you know, that doesn't come up in conversation yeah, very yeah, often, yeah. you know? <laughs> And it's like, yeah, why would you make someone feel dumb for that, man? Like, yeah, they, they, they knew that word. That's cool. Yeah, like, and it's, yeah. it's not like they heard someone say it and were like, I'm just going to say it wrong right, from now Right, right. It's not like me with Shia LaBeouf, yeah. you know? Like, <laughs> little plug there for yeah. getting buffed. Did you want to plug anything? You got anything? Um, I don't right now, actually. Uh, oh, my photography, um, Duke Mulberry Visuals on Instagram. I'm also building my webpage right now, but I'm available for... Any kind of shoe. Um, I do a lot of artistic stuff. I make masks. Um, I'm available for real estate. I'm actually really good at real estate photography. It's nice because you don't really have to deal with people. Yeah. So, um, no, I'm just kidding. I also do portraits and I love people. Um, <laughs> give me your money. So, yeah, that's about it. Duke Mulberry on Instagram and hit me up for all of your photography needs. And book me for your comedy if uh, you thought I was mildly amusing talking about a story about robbing kids. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you so show. much. I mean, I really appreciate you coming on, too. And it's, like, really nice that it is a redemption story and that you have made all the right choices and that you are, you know, doing really well. And so I'm really happy to see you and happy to hear that. And so I appreciate you coming on because I know, like, you know, you're the first guest. And so I appreciate you stepping up to the plate. Yeah, thank Hold you. It, holding yourself accountable for the things that you've done can be really, really hard. And I really appreciate you coming on here and talking about it. I appreciate you having me. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, thank you. If you are somebody that you know is suffering from mental health or addiction issues, um, you can call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration at 1-800-662-4357. That's 1-800-662-HELP. Um, there's also, I'm sure, in your area, local resources, which I encourage you to check out. Thank you so much for listening. This is Accountable.